as we promised last time, we're going to be looking in uh, lesson number 13 today. We're going to be talking about man's salvation. And like I said uh, last meeting, this is going to be a two-part message. Part one will be done today, and then part two we'll uh, do next time. Uh, but it's about man's salvation. And I think the second part was going to be uh, mainly about the Trinity of God, that the Trinity is not really, uh, the word is not mentioned in the Bible, yet there's evidence of the Trinity, and theologians around the world and scholars know that there is a Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So let's get started. We want to thank you for uh, being here and listening to the broadcast today, and we hope this is a blessing to you. And uh, we've talked about sin and all the negativity of sin and how uh, sinful it is in the world and distressful and how man is a sinful creature. Now we're going to look at the solution that God has provided for us to solve our uh, sin problem that we're not able to solve that God has to solve for us so let's get started we say salvation is the message of the truth now all through this writing as, uh, so far we have addressed sin and its impact on each and every one of us none of us can escape sin nor can we get rid of the sin that so easily besets us we discussed lastly that Dealing with sin and its penalty required a supernatural act by something outside of man, and that is what we want to address in this chapter called man's salvation. We want to talk about God loving us so much that he gave his only begotten son die for us on the cross so that we could have salvation. My friend, that is the only way that you're going to be able to approach God and have eternal life in heaven is through Jesus Christ. I don't care what any other people say around the world. Jesus Christ is a way to the Father. He is the only way. So let's have our opening prayer and bow with me now as we pray. Father, we thank you for again for this day that you have given us, for the blessings that you bestow upon us each and every day. Father, I thank you for uh, so and that and the privilege it is to broadcast these messages and lessons around the world and we pray lord that you would uh bless each one of these that they would be a blessing to the people that listen to them that they may be a a discipling moment in this that they might learn or they might come to know about jesus and accept him as their savior father be with the uh the audience now as we uh, start this study on salvation be with me that you open my heart and my mind to understand the truth that's in this Lord that it can be delivered in a way that will be pleasing to you and to lift up the name of Jesus and all that we do and we thank you for your love and your grace and we pray now that you would be with us as we study your word in Jesus name amen we'll find that God is the supernatural force as we said last time that uh, the salvation comes outside the man not from inside the man and it's God is a supernatural force which has performed the supernatural act that supernaturally deals with our sin this is a supernatural spiritual event that we cannot touch or have anything to do with except through just believing in the Lord Jesus Christ in the Christian faith to which we do belong 
we find that salvation is God's work for us. This work saves man from the penalty, power, and presence of sin. This is God's salvation plan, not ours. Listen, I know the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6, 23 tells me that. But me, as a mere man, does not know what was or, what was or is required for the correction of sin. God is the only one that knew what was needed in order to solve the sin problem. If it was not for the Bible, I would know nothing of any of this. That's the reason the this, uh, this studying of God's word is so important to all of us. God knew in his salvation plan that man was going to need in-depth, step-by-step instructions about his plan and about all that he has done and going to do to reunite himself to his beloved, the human beings. Now, I said in the last lesson that um, the big picture of the Bible, when you start studying the Bible and the Holy Spirit gives you a discerning uh, knowledge of the scriptures that you can understand, you will see a big picture of how God came from the Garden of Eden through Israel, through the prophets, through the son of Jesus Christ uh, after the uh, 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament and how God has written the story of how his son came, what he did on this earth and the future, the, the prophecies that are written, written in there and the ending story that's told in Revelation. These are all provided to us to give us the big picture of what God's plan is for the human race. Now God told us through his word that all there is to know about himself and how he feels about sin, how he feels about Satan, and how he feels about us. He has a plan for Satan, he has a plan for himself, and he has a plan for us. Satan's plan is to the, the, the eternal uh, damnation of the lake of fire. He is going to be thrown into the lake of fire there he will be forever and ever. He will never have the opportunity to terrorize and tempt man and harass us anymore once he's placed in the lake of fire. This is quite simple, actually. God tells his plan in one special verse. And we just said that just a minute ago. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's found in the Gospel of John. Mark or chapter 3 verse 16 let's look at this for a moment God so loved the world now this being his creation God's creation and God said in Genesis it was all good he matter of fact he said it was all very good and he blessed it he gave his only begotten son who was Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior so that whoever will believe in him shall not perish, should not perish, and go into the fires of hell, that's what that means, but instead have everlasting life. Everlasting life is eternal life that Jesus gives us through believing in him. That's our salvation in a nutshell. God's salvation plan is based on the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross and nothing else. There is no salvation outside of the cross. God's doctrine of salvation is the message of truth and is a proclamation of the church. 
As I study my Bible, I am always reminded of its origin and its age. Even though it has been transcribed through different ages, it remains the Word of God. People say that the Bible is not the original writing and that in the first century, scribes and the like probably changed things and wrote uh, what they wanted to write. And I say, really? I am, I am so seriously doubt that God made sure that his word was preserved through the ages. That's the reason we are always finding buried scrolls or books revealing the truth about the Bible. The Bible itself tells us that we must believe in faith. We are told without faith it is impossible to please God. We have to believe that God is real and that Jesus died for us on the cross and that he was uh, of his death, burial, and his resurrection. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no life in eternity. That's the whole principle that God raised Jesus from the dead and, gave, and it gave life to everybody that even though death was sure to come, that we would be resurrected like Jesus, that we would have eternal life forever. God's salvation for man is a comprehensive theme uniting all of the scriptures. First salvation is revealed in Eden. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. I know some of you have heard this before. And, and uh, he said, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He's talking to Satan. And that was the first prophecy that Satan was going to be defeated. And he's talking about the seed of woman, which was Jesus Christ. And he says, you will uh, bruise his, he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, you're going to kick him in the, in the heel, but he's going to hit you in the head. Because through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Satan was defeated once and for all. Then in the call of Abraham in Genesis 12, God brings out one man that believed him through faith and was the father of God's chosen people. And also Abraham was the father of many nations in the world. And he's referenced in the, in the world today that he's the father of the Christians, the, the Jew, Judaism, and of the Muslims. The Muslims believe that Abraham is the father of the world, of the nations. Salvation is again witnessed in God's deliverance of his people from Egypt. In the book of Exodus, or the Exodus from, from Egypt, it is anchored in the promise to David regarding his descendant, confirmed in the predictions of the prophets, and alive finally in the flesh and fully in the appearance of the Christ, which was Jesus. God's work for man is Christ's work for man. Thus, salvation is the person and work of Christ. Christ is the believer's salvation. Our salvation is sometimes viewed as the blessings of redemption on our group together under the broad heading of the person and the working of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary at the conception of Jesus. The Holy Spirit filled and worked out all through the life of Jesus. All the day of Pentecost, or excuse me, at the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given uh, by God as a power and comforter to the saint. And it is with us today. When we believe in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, as I said earlier, the Holy Spirit resides in us forevermore. The Holy Spirit 
is the Spirit of God himself. God, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God. God resides in us. I know that's kind of hard for some people to understand, but uh, by believing in Jesus Christ, God's Spirit comes to live with us to empower us. Not that we have a, a spirit of fear, that we have a spirit of power and sound mind to reason and understand the salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, the name Jesus means salvation is of the Lord. Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. This is a message of truth. The angel spoke to Joseph with reference to the child that Mary was carrying, and he said, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Now, salvation has a necessity. Salvation's necessity is, is God. Salvation is a necessity for man. There's no other way that man can have eternal life and free himself from the sinful condition he's in. The age-old fact about man's sin is still with us today, but I'm not sure people understand their position like they ought to. God did not create man with a moral deficiency that required salvation. Man was created good and was perfect and was without blemish until he rebelled against God, introducing evil into the individual life and into the, the larger world. Salvation is a necessity because sin is a reality. We have to understand that sin is real. It is a contagious disease in the world today. And if it wasn't for Jesus Christ uh, dying on that cross and defeating sin and putting all that to rest and giving it and putting it uh, back in God's hands, that this world would be contagious with sin and there'd be no hope except just to destroy it, to get rid of it. Now, having said all that, we review one part of this statement and elaborate on it. Until his man's rebellion, until his rebellion, talking about Adam and Eve, most of us think it was Satan that forced Adam and Eve to partake of the fruit from the tree of good and evil. But you see, they had a choice. You have a choice today. You can continue eating the fruit of the good and evil or the tree of knowledge, rather, and live in your sinful condition, or you have a choice to come back to the tree of life and have eternal life. That's what this means for us today. Even like today, with this choice, man has always had a choice. He had a choice with Adam and Eve. He has a choice today. And Adam was not no dumb man in any way. I mean, he named all the creatures and animals and had daily communications with God himself. Adam probably spoke with telepathically with the animals, but just the idea that he walked and talked with God, and they had conversations, which means they both interchanged with each other. So Adam was no dummy by no means. We have the same thing going on today. Problem is people don't know uh, this is what is happening to them. They think it is just the norm of life, and Satan wants to keep, keep it that way. All people, and I mean all of us, live in sin. We are sinners. Without God's salvation plan for us, we would be condemned, and our eternal future would be sealed in the lake of fire with Satan and his angels. 
Listen, the lake of fire was made, created for Satan and his angels, not for man. Man elected to go there on his own. This sin we have and do is against God, and as said earlier, it makes us enemies of God. But our salvation to be rectified and cleansed is not in the capacity of man, but instead must be brought to us by God, and it must be his terms of operation. Let's review one more time the fall of man, but from a different view. In terms of man, sin originates with the deed of Adam, a tragic act uh, which is recounted in Genesis 3. While Eve was deceived, Adam clearly understood the command of God and yet deliberately pursued his disastrous course of self-assertion and disobedience. Both Adam and his descendants are paying the price for his turn away from God. Salvation is man's necessity and well as well as his only hope. Sovereignty in salvation. So now we want to look at this word sovereignty and define it as we apply this word to God. God is sovereign and just. The definition of sovereign is simply this. Number one, top authority, supreme authority, especially over a state, okay? Number two, independence, freedom from outside interference, the right to self-government. Taking those two definitions, putting them together, describing God, he is the top authority, the supreme authority over the world. He has the freedom to do as he pleases in his sovereignty for his pleasure without the fear of interference. He has the absolute right to self-govern himself and the world. So I think that all believers realize that God is the top authority and the supreme authority. He has all freedom from any outside interference and has the right to self-govern. So based on all this, I conclude that God's sovereignty means that he is free to do what he desires without any fear or rebuttal or interference from any of us. We don't have any say-so in how God is so sovereign in his work. We cannot... We don't have an opinion. He didn't ask us for an opinion. He does it on his own because he is a sovereign God. Everyone, especially the unbelievers, do not agree with God's decisions, but stand powerless to do anything about it. Sovereignty and salvation is God's work. Salvation is God's plan and his, in God's idea. It is his pleasure and desire to give man salvation through his grace and love for us based on the work of Jesus on the cross, and there's no other way. God says, I love you so much that I gave my only son to pay the sin debt that you were never going to be able to pay, and you can elect to believe what I did and accept my son for his, in his salvation, and I will save you and bring you into my eternal rest, or you can deny me and go to the lake of fire with Satan and his angels. That's basically the two choices that we have. Sovereignty and salvation is God's work. Salvation is God's plan and idea. We need to remember that. It is God's work. God's salvation is his work and his alone with no credit afforded to, to us as man. In all things, God is sovereign. In his determination to save, he meant man 
would remain ignorant, spiritually incapable, bound in slavery to sin, and facing God's eternal judgment. That's what God meant. But he said that if you do that, then you will not accept my salvation and you will suffer the consequences. Now this assures that God will receive all the glory, all the credit for the salvation plan that he had because man is left helpless without him. Listen, folks, when it comes to spiritual rest, when it comes to eternal life, we cannot help ourselves, period, because we in our soul and spirit uh, life, once we die, we will belong to God. And if we don't accept the salvation plan that God offers us, we will suffer eternal damnation. That's what the Bible teaches. Because of God's sovereignty and salvation, the believer can have assurance and confidence in his salvation, and this results in comfort and peace. God gives us this free of charge. It's a gift to man. We just have to accept it by believing in Jesus Christ the Son. Man knows that his salvation is all of God. And this is truth and faithfulness that God can deliver what is promised because he is God, the creator of all things. To know what salvation is, all of God is to know that not only the saving, but also the keeping is his work. That it is well with my soul is the overwhelming conviction of the believer. And this conviction creates an abiding comfort or inward peace that the world cannot give and cannot take away. Within the hand of the Son and the Father, the believer is secure. Not only can God save us with his salvation and his saving grace, but he can maintain it and keep it without having the fear of losing it. God gives it to us. You don't give people a gift and then go take it back away from them. So God is not going to do that. God is going to bring you through and complete the work in you that he set out to do. And there may be times of trouble and heartache because you don't want to follow God's directions, but he will bring it to pass and he will see you through it and you are secure in the, in the hands of God. Now we look at the meaning of the words. Now we have concluded that God is sovereign and he does as he well pleases. Salvation is God's saving work for man in his sin. And this work is the work of God, his work alone. No one else can help God with this work. It's his. He receives the glory and the praise for that. For the work of salvation, man is dependent upon God. And in this, he has no capability, no capacity, no capability. Salvation is the most common word used to speak of God's provision for the sinner. On the other hand, sovereignty is the best word to speak of God's greatness and mystery in his work of saving the sinner. We have salvation through uh, the sovereignty of God that God provided for us. But he is, his sovereignty says that he wanted to do this. It gives him pleasure to do this. He wants to save man, and he's already done it. We just have to accept it. Now, sovereignty and providence, okay, that's a new word we haven't seen before, is providence. Now, these two are related. Sovereignty speaks of who or what God is, while the providence speaks of the activity of God's sovereignty. So this foundation or idea is so accepted that God is what he does, and what he does reflects who he is. 
So the distinction between providence and sovereignty is a distinction without a difference. Providence is the exercise by God of his sovereignty, an exercise guided by the eternal plan of God that all of creation fulfills its intended purpose and reaches its determined end. Providence or sovereignty defines the relationship of God in his creation. In this relationship, God maintains and directs the created order according to his everlasting plan, guiding it right to his end. Therefore, the ultimate meaning of, for creation is not found in the uh, natural, but in the supernatural. The point is that man cannot establish importance for himself, for his importance cannot be known by the activities of his reasoning. The importance of man comes through revelation whereby God gives insight into his activity, and it is in God's activity and in man's relationship to God that man's importance to God is understood. Sovereignty is God's rule, as well as the realm of his rule. He is king over all things, and he rules over all things. In the book of the Psalms, we find this, in Psalms 103, uh, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. His rule is absolute without alternation. Uh, his uh, rule is for his pleasure and his pleasure alone and ultimately to bring glory to himself. Now in the terms of salvation as we just discussed, remembering that the sovereignty of God means he is free to do as he pleases and as this salvation God gives us is according to his purpose, and he unfolds it into reality according to his schedule, man is removed completely from the salvation process. Man is merely the recipient of the free gift of salvation. Folks, that's what I've been saying. There's nothing you can do for your salvation. God's given it to you as a free gift. You just have to accept it. If you don't accept it, you're condemned. Well, you're condemned already without Jesus Christ. So you just remain in your condemned state. So the salvation we receive was told by Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, as he was speaking with a Pharisee and Nicodemus, Jesus told him. Jesus answered and said to him, talking to Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Nicodemus told him, he said, well, can I go back and re be reborn? And Jesus was talking about being reborn of the spirit. The spirit birth is what saves you, not the physical birth. Then also we see in John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13, he says, but as many as received him, re received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We are children of God, not because we elected to, but because it was something that God did for us through Jesus Christ. The only This only reinforces that what was said earlier. Salvation is a gift of God, and from God it comes to man, and by no other way can man receive salvation except through God. From the above verse, it is obvious that salvation is of God, but this does not mean that it is readily accepted. 
the providence of God is not really understood even among Christians, let alone with non-Christians, and it is even less acknowledged for what it is. If you recall in the beginning of this section, meaning of the words, we said that sovereignty and providence were related to one another. Providence is a good management and judgment that God has over his sovereignty. If you meditate and isolate only this single thought, you will see this. The perfection of God. You will see the perfection of God. As I have said before in other writings, God manages and looks upon his creation, upon mankind, upon the universe, and he manages and brings it to the end of its being, which he's already written the story. We can read about it in the book of Revelations. In Second Peter, it says that this old earth and old universe will burn up with a fervent heat and be, and be uh, torn apart, and then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And God is managing all this through his providence. And his sovereignty gives him the freedom to do that because nobody can interfere with it. There is no error in him, not even, a not even a tittle, not even a little bit. God's sovereignty is exercised through his providence. In other words, God, God's freedom to rule for his pleasure is managed by his judgment to do the right thing regardless of what it is. The creation of gods that we exist in is all gods. We have no say-so over how he might manage or judge it. We must, I feel, fully understand sovereignty. This is essential for a Christian. We have to understand God is free to do what he desires because of his nature of who God is, the great I am who I am, and he has a perfect management skill through his providence to manage his creation, to bring it to its fruition, of which he's already pre-planned. So God's right to exercise and to rule absolutely and totally over all that he has made is his sovereignty. And now we see the salvation of God, which we understood or understand, is a sovereign act of God, and it was his pleasure to save us from our sins. And to that, I would say, hallelujah, amen. It was God's pleasure to save me. I want you, to, if you can think about that, God of the universe that created everything, loved me enough that he was, it was his pleasure. He was happy to save me. Salvation is the most comprehensive word of the Christian faith. From it, we find the word save, saved, and savior. From the Christian standpoint, how would we be without these words? Our salvation comes directly from God and his desire to, to save us through Jesus, his son, who was in fact God himself in the flesh of man. This word salvation is also associated with God's purpose, man's rebellion, and the resulting corruption, the passion of the Christ, and the future of all things. Also, salvation includes alienation, atonement, regeneration, conversion, justification, sanctification, and glorification. It describes God's work for man, both in the purchase and application of salvation. It speaks of all the blessings that assure or occur to the believer, all made possible by God's amazing grace in connection with the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
Five points should be made here that we should see. Number one, salvation is the act of God. Number two, salvation is the act of God for man. Number three, salvation is the act of God for man in his sin. Number four, salvation is associated with a Savior. And Jesus Christ is the Savior. He saves by being himself the salvation. Salvation is both individual and corporate. God saves individuals and will bring about a cosmic salvation. Salvation is vast in its scope. There is to be a new heaven and a new earth. Salvation is God's work and also God's word. It is a message of the church. Salvation is the content of the gospel. It is the instrument of God using uh, use, it is the instrument God uses to bring spiritual life to the dead sinner. This means that within the gospel is the power of God to awaken the spiritually dead and to initiate spiritual life. The word about the work of Christ, his provision of salvation, is capable of effecting a new creation within the sinner. By grace, one is transformed from death into life through the work of the living word of God, which has within it the power of God. Without salvation, man is lost. Man is lost for all eternity. So this living word of God is Jesus Christ, which, is, which has within it the power of God. And people, next time we're going to be talking about the Trinity, in part two of this, and we're going to see that there's one God head, but it has three offices. So when Jesus, the word, and he became the sacrifice for the sin for man, he was still part of the Godhead. So it's like God was on the cross with Jesus. God is in the Holy Spirit that's within us. And God is in his perfect sovereignty and providence to uh, rule his creation as he sees fit. But we'll be looking at the Trinity and salvation in part two of this message.